Hey, this is PJ Souls, and you are totally listening to Nightmare Junkhead. Woo! Keep listening. out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that celebrates the entire catalog of Polly shore buddy my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we continue our look into some of our favorite boutique blu-ray labels and we're heading to what was once the greatest place on earth mm-hmm. as we shop till we drop with 1989's phantom of the mall Eric's Revenge. And whether you've gone mall walking or not, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, we'll download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your goodies, got it whole. <laughs> uh, and of course, um, you can find us on social media. Uh, we're on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and shopping agenda shenanigans. And as this episode is going to be releasing on Friday, January 20th, if you find yourself shopping in the Kansas City area, uh, head on over to screenland.com where you will find they have your, in this case, I'm just going to throw back to mall etiquette, uh, shenanigans taking care of indoors. And virtually. Because, you know, third time is a charm there, genius. Absolutely. Now, the Friday this episode is releasing... Our latest Friday Night Fright. Yes. Origin comes from a little rant between one Kevin Smith and Scott Mosier. He's speaking of mall etiquette. And podcast and Mm -hmm. the the importance of it. A little rant on their uh, podcast called Smodcast that ended up a feature film that (laughs) takes two of our favorite character actors, Mm -hmm. combines them with a little bit of a Cronenberg a lot of a Cronenberg. A lot of Cronenberg Cronenberg meets Animal Planet. Oh, it gets weird. Yeah. It gets awkward. And for this director being and the subject matter that it's tackling, it's relatively serious. Mm-hmm. For being a, a gripping love story about a man and a walrus. And when that man is Michael Parks and he gets to expound upon that love Uh via some pretty good contemporary Kevin Smith dialogue. Now, this is one I'm really looking forward to seeing on the big screen, so we hope to see you out for that now. That being said, uh, we're going to be closing out the month of January, looking to uh, the last Friday Night Fright of January with a film that I was actually lucky enough to see in the theater. Mm -hmm. It was at the Tivoli, so that kind of lets you know the kind of film we're looking at. Uh, And it wasn't that definitely left an impression on me uh has an american remake i believe was uh on into the mouth of march madness mm-hmm. competed uh, but we're talking about the og let the right one in mm-hmm. that movie's really really good a good little sad spin on the vampire tale when's the last time you watched the original Ooh, the last time i watched the original i think was maybe like about Three or four years after the remake came out. So you were were you a cat person at that point? No. Okay. I'm definitely one now. And okay. I remember like there's a scene. Not the kitties. <laughs> there's All a right. scene with this one. So be warned, anyone. 
I'm hoping we're not going to go like death game cat trauma. No. <laughs> I can't just picture just a bunch of vampires. Who's the man that makes me want to do that single bad? My dear old Vlad. Bravo. Bravo. <laughs> now, the other repertory screenings that are happening on the weekend of the 20th. I was, the Vlad's pretty inspired. Uh, a film that I've actually, I used to host a couple times back at the Draft House when it was actually when we gave out props. Ooh. One of, one of those kind of movies. But it's one that I think is best served at home because it's that film you've got you may have several of those obnoxious friends that like to quote the entirety of the film front to back it's a classic though for a reason uh, monty python and the holy grail that is a fun movie that is a fun movie i could see where movie parties would be a blast but i could see where non-movie parties might be a little rough <laughs> indeed indeed you got to know the audience now we'd like to run the pram a lot dude i like monty python and the holy grail a lot actually when i went to new york um a couple of years back i went to, i was like i'm gonna see a broadway show because that's what you do when you go to new york and it was spam a lot and i was like oh fuck yeah fuck yeah so no it was great well even the the little bit of the horror element that comes into play with, with the rabbit and the first time when the rabbit leaps, he's look, and they just shoot across, God and just it. just the gore and the viscera, just it's, it's great, it's great. They knew their audience, they played it well. Uh, now going into a ga- uh, a genre of, I very I know very little of it, the French new wave, new wave. Uh, you'll have a chance to check out uh, Jean Luc Godard's Breathless. I've seen that fair enough fair enough it's well we're, we're a horror podcast we're not a french new wave right podcast so it, it, that sounds like i should know it no it's, you know it sounds it sounds like oh like not saying you're, you're not a real film fam G- right. you know what no wonder you don't get midsomar right because i haven't seen jean-luc godard's breathless it's one that ideally i would like to see up on the big screen but i also know that it does tie a little to i might have I'm afraid I'm going to have some dreamers PTSD because I know that was kind of a call to some of that. And I'm just going to be like, oh, am I in an, uh, an awkward theater experience here again? Uh, oh, no, Evergreen. And again, the Shining Kid moment. There's some kid. I like the way they think. <laughs> but then a double feature that is going to be happening, uh, one that's going to be really rad to check out. Uh, it's going to be a double feature of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That movie's dope. Uh, and then... Uh, Stephen Chow's Shaolin Soccer. I like that movie a lot. Anything Stephen Chow puts out, sign me up. But I remember when I was younger, I was huge into the Ninja Turtles. Like, well, watch the cartoon every day. Of course. And when I heard that they were doing a live action, I was excited. I was like, yes, I'm going to go see this movie. It's going to be rad, right? Sure enough, it was dope. I mean, the movie was slick. And then Shaolin Soccer, the movie's hilarious. It's funny. It is super great. The Kung Fu is great. I... I really enjoyed Stephen Chow movies. Yeah, you can't really go wrong with him. He has that nice balance mm-hmm. of humor and then the choreography, but then the absurdity. Right. Which is the best part. The comedy, heart. It's got it's it's they're entertaining movies. Yeah, they're yes, they are. absolutely entertaining movies. Now, if you would like to uh, help Screenland entertain from afar, uh, there's a couple ways that you can do that. Uh, you can go to screenlandonline.com where there are a number of films that you could rent from them directly or even better 
Become a member of their film family by going to patreon.com slash screenland, where amongst the, the many perks we offer up, a little watch party called the Shutter Shoutout. Mm-hmm. And our latest one here for the month of January is going to be happening on um, Saturday, January 28th. And Genius, what do we have in store? New year, new to us. So we have some old school classics that should be. we're checking off our list. We're starting to start the New Year's off right with 1981's Death Game, which is a nice... Road Games. Road Games. Oh, I've seen Death Games. <laughs> Road Games, which is, and I've seen that. And also 1988's, which the cover of the movie haunted me. Slaughterhouse Rock. It's deceptive. Mm-hmm. Very deceptive. Uh, road Games, uh, Osploitation. Ooh. Really looking forward to that. Crikey. Stacy Keach, Jamie Lee Curtis. Stadenko. Stadenko and Strode. Mm-hmm. Are they solving adventures? on on the In the Australian Outback. Ooh. And then Slaughterhouse Rock, I just remember distinctly Tony Basil featuring heavily in that film. Mickey is so fine. Now, both of those films are going to be streaming on Shudder, uh, but by joining the Screenland Film family, uh, we put together, what do you call it, Genius? It's the home game. It, it truly is, because we put together a customized pre-show, ideally a, a, vis- a video introduction, mm-hmm. where Genius and I will give you some context into both of the films, <laughs> uh, vintage trailer reels for each movie, and then, of course, Post-film discussion, mm-hmm. where we will be processing both of these first-time viewings. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to 2023 now that we just got that together. <laughs> exactly. There's a That's going to be a fun time because, again, I've heard of this um, movie. It, well, it's Richard, it's Richard Franklin that directed it, and that's the guy that went on to... He directed Patrick, genius. Oh. Crikey indeed, Crikey right? Crikey indeed. I wonder if we're going to have any Stadenko sad handies. We will. Good God help us if we do. <laughs> now, that being said, of course, uh, you can get access to that uh, by becoming a member of uh, Screenland's film family. So head on over to patreon.com slash Screenland. But genius, if I'm talking Patreon and film family. A belly. We also are starting the new year with our film family members at Patreon. And in fact, I wanted to give a shout out here and... You'll have to see if I miss anyone. Um, the At this point, when we're recording, uh, we had our latest Friday Night Fright was Event Horizon. Mm-hmm. Wonderful turnout. Oh, yeah. It was a by great the turnout. Way. And the, I, of course, didn't need eyes to see everyone, uh, but wanted to give uh, some of our film family members a shout out. I know Marie, Chad, Dustin, Diana, Charles, and Jesse were all there. Mm-hmm. Am I forgetting anyone? I think Patreon film family wise, that's pretty much that was uh, pa- I think Patreon pallies, I if, think that's if we missed you are bad. Call us out on it. Yes, let us know. <laughs> but regardless, it was really nice to see everyone out there. The last Friday night fright of two thousand and twenty two. What a way to kick off with a bang. Right? Or end it with a bang. End it with a bang, absolutely. Um in fact, technically since it happened, how was it was it was great. Yeah. It was a, we had a couple of first timers, maybe about it almost it almost sold out too. And oh, so yeah, it was again a good it was a crowd, really good crowd. And out of that crowd, maybe about six were seeing it for the first time. Yep. And so, like, what'd you think? Oh, it was a lot better than we expected. I'm like, yeah, I like being called out by. I still stand by my guns. And don't get me wrong, I like Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Absolutely. I enjoyed, yep. I enjoyed them. But if I were to go like movie to movie. The winner of the Anderson contest is going to be Paul W.S. Anderson. Genius, so. you're a man of uh, unique and distinct tastes, mm-hmm. okay? Now, I appreciate it. In fact, if I remember right, you did get a boo with that. Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, 
Thanks, Jesse. Yeah, I was uh, going <laughs> to call you out there, buddy. I tell you, I'm sticking by my guns. <laughs> but that being said, uh, we have a lot to look forward to in 2023 in terms of content for our film family members, including our latest commentary and, of course, new horror film that we'll be talking the end of January. Of we're and technically, fuck yeah, sh- it's going to be. We're already talking. We'll be about seeing it. We've already we'll seen, seen it. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. At this point, we've seen it by now. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. I'm stoked. I'm already dancing already. Looking forward to it. Now, of course, if you would like to have access and uh, get some shout-outs, regardless if you are coming to Friday Night Frights or not, uh, head on over to patreon.com slash nightmarejunkhead. Again, a lot of stuff for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, I'd like to think so far, with the exploration, these uncharted waters, uncharted, very charted waters, of our favorite boutique Blu-ray labels, we started classy with Criterion. We got a little seedy with Vinegar Syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to think with our next entry, we're kind of splitting the middle. It's that Venn diagram. We're right in the middle. We got a little overlap on mm-hmm. both sides. We got the chocolate and the peanut butter. And Arrow Video, they know how to combine those. Yeah. Because I've got some entries of my Arrow Video collection that I can't show certain people. Mm-hmm. Like, it does not come out... Does not see the light of day in most cases. In one case, I bought it strictly for the CD that came with it. Thank you, Cannibal Holocaust. (laughs) But if I say Arrow Video, what does that spring to mind for you, Genius? Again, awesome boutique stuff that's going to, like, scratch particular itches. And stuff where you're, like, again, like, when we're, like, the rocks on Criterion, you know? (laughs) Like, and you're, like... This movie has got a 4K release, uh, mm-hmm. Blu-ray release. I'm looking through the stuff. They have everything like Pitch Black mm-hmm. is one of their uh, boutiques. Um, also, on the other end, they have uh, Blood Rage. Oh, yes, they do. Yes, they mm-hmm. do. I'm Todd. But then they have Tremors. But then, of course, one of my personal favorites, Chud. So, mm-hmm. But the great thing with Arrow, or I should say the frustrating thing initially for arrow is they were initially established in 1991 um over in the uk and it wasn't until 2009 that they got into the home video game and that's when they started introducing their boutique blu-rays but then this also introduced to me the whole thing of region coding right which i mistakenly like an American, assumed that yeah, universal everything that we have here is the same everywhere else. It's cater to me, genius, right? Why Come it, on right? now. I mean, and, and I, I'm still, I'm still befuddled by this shit. And sometimes you have to be cautious with Arrow releases, as they, a lot of them are going to be Region B, mm-hmm. which, if I recall, I think no, wait, Region A, we're Region. Regardless, you it have to be us. cautious. Yeah, there are certain releases that you have to look to see if it is region coded and if your blu-ray can play it now to bypass that the serious collectors out there they get the region free blu-ray players oh yeah that's like the the wild west of blu-ray players which Mm -hmm. is perfect which is something i probably need to price them just to see because it wouldn't be a bad investment because i've got a couple of blu-rays that i can't play because i bought the wrong region well you got like a switch right no, I've just got a regular Blu-ray. I've got no, the no, Blu-ray no, no, player. No, 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 video game systems. I have a Wii. I think some video game systems will play Universal Blu-rays. Interesting. Because I know, like, for nine times out of ten, I don't have any problems with my PlayStation. Really? On, like, re- region stuff that normally... But I really can't. don't even, like... 
I hate to say again, like an American. I don't even take that to see if I can play this motherfucker. This motherfucker don't want to play. Let me see. Probably shit don't work. Meanwhile, don't play because I don't have the right thing. What region B? The only region I care about is U.S. and A. That's the only region I need to know about. It's horrible. Yeah. It's horrible. So, so since then, though, talking about like mall etiquette, theater etiquette, Blu-ray, Blu-ray etiquette. etiquette. Fortunately, I think I've, I, I've either dodged the bullet or my PlayStation is like, no, we got gotcha. you. We got gotcha. you. <laughs> we got gotcha. you. The little gremlins inside mm-hmm. making it work. It's impressive. It's impressive. But Arrow has, first and foremost, we've talked about it here on the show, on Patreon, but Arrow gave our good friend Jill Gavargazion her feature film debut on Blu-ray. The f- full-on treatment. Of which, if you view the special features of it, You show up several times, (laughs) and let's just say he's engaging his groove thing. Yes, I I am. am, An enthusiastic extra. If I ain't work, if I ain't twerking, I ain't working. So, (laughs) but you're like it's loaded. It's fantastic. It's Mm -hmm. a great version of the disc. In fact, then we were gifted the steel. Yeah, versions which were great. So, you know, to have that as a launching point, but. Uh, brain damage. I have a copy of which is phenomenal. Hey there, Pally. Bride of Reanimator. I own a copy, mm-hmm. and even going outside of horror. But honestly, this one's kind of horror adjacent in a lot of ways. Uh, but Shokazuki's Pray for Death. Fuck yeah, Pray for was, Death was put out by Arrow. I got that one. It's really so they're diverse in genre. Mm-hmm. It's not just horror. It's not just cult. Roadhouse. That they they probably yeah no and and whenever and they're good about getting good license but the thing is though with a lot of those licenses, like that probably went from arrow to vinegar syndrome to this to to this but Mm -hmm. here's the thing though when they start bouncing from label to label ideally to entice people it's let's throw on some extras let's find some new extras with the miami connection blu-ray you know the draft house when they put that out it was a pretty loaded blu-ray but then Vinegar Syndrome is like, no, no, we will, what is it, hold my beer or whatever? Uh-huh. And they add it on to it. So sometimes the double dipping is not a bad thing. And then Arrow comes along and like, yeah, let me, let, let's throw some more stuff on there. Yeah, so it, needless to say, in my Blu-ray collection, there's I have a nice little selection of Arrow Blu-ray. Which leads us to this title that Arrow put out. Hidden Gem. Hidden Gem is the right term with this one because... The journey this film has taken, especially at least within the two people here in the podcast, it's gone from a joke trailer that always closed the trailer reel for the Kansas City Horror Club's screening of Chopping Mall. Mm -hmm. Um, It went to uh, an episode of I've Seen That on Patreon, and now it's made its way here to the main feed, which usually means that's a good sign because, again, anytime we talk a title... Ideally, it's something we're both going in vetting for. And in fairness, I'm always down to see joke trailer movies. Oh, and that's just it. And this is one of those that I remember putting together stuff for the hor- for the for the screening. And the trailer reel itself was Night of the Comet, mm-hmm. Dawn of the Dead, mm-hmm. and then closed with Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. And this was back in the Tapcade days. Yes. This goes back a long time in terms of tradition. 2018. Mm-hmm. And I remember the trailer killing because I had no idea it existed. Based on everyone's reactions, 
they had no idea this movie existed. Right. And even better, I remember when uh, Katie Glidewell, a.k.a. the blonde in front, she was at a screening one time. She, I was sitting next to her. She's like, what is this? Right. I'm like, right? We don't know. Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge. This is part two? Implying we missed something, genius. Mm-hmm. And how could we miss out on something that something looks Something like this? that. Because we were steeped in mall culture. We were, we were like Bane. You really adopted the mall. We were raised in it. We we didn't see outdoor shopping malls to a grown man. So let's start there with mall movies. In fact, let's talk about this mall. The one featured in this film. The world famous mall? The Sherman Oaks Gallery Mall. Galleria. 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 You got to put that respect on that. Absolutely. That, that title. No, because it is the Mount Rushmore of malls mm-hmm. featured in films. Yes, absolutely. And I think the general populace knows this mall from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. That's a, It's a character in the movie itself. Right. It's where all the, the future cool character actors all hung out. The uh, genre lovers would know this mall. The action genre lovers would know this mall from a little um, steel drum infused um, chain, faux chain mail wearing. <laughs> so disheartening when I found that <laughs> right? out. Right? A little Alyssa Milano and Schwarzenegger vehicle, Commando. God damn, it's glorious in that. So I'd like to ideally think anyone that is a fan of Media Rewind would appreciate that. But then even better. First of two instances where if you're a fan of Kelly Mulroney, mm-hmm. eat your heart out uh, from 19, I believe, 84's Night of the Comet yes, to the 1986's Chopping Mall, which is goddamn glorious. But One no, of the best explosions ever. A lot of gum chewing. And that guy shows up. Hey, babe. He's the Death Stalker and Death Stalker 2. <laughs> now he's just chewing gum. It's 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 it's. I had a moment with that movie, kind of like with you and like Buck Flowers. Uh-huh. I was like, oh, I just. Hey. Yeah. It enhanced the movie a bit for me. <laughs> At least another one was in like. But I like pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> mall culture, mall movies, Sherman Oaks, Galleria. One of the things I know you enjoyed most when we did a chopping mall commentary was us pointing out. Not only the fake stores, but the real ones. But the real ones, the ones that really no longer exist. I loved the mall, though. The mall was so much fun. Well, we was, are of that. We are of a certain age, genius. Right. It was great, though. Like, like even though it was probably dangerous. This is like definitely another time, another place where, like, okay, here's twenty dollars, and which back or fifteen or ten or whatever. But that was like a lot. Damn right, it was. I'll see you in about four or five hours. Meet me here at the food court at like 5 p.m. I'm like, all right, cool. Go to the fun factory. Go to the movies. Go to the pet store. Go check out talking about store Sam goodies. Now, and if this is someone's first podcast with us, Genius, and we want to get regional, what was your mall of choice? Oh, Indian Springs. Absolutely, Indian Springs. That's it where it two seems, movie theaters. It seems like a good chunk of your childhood. Huge chunk. Because Indian Springs, you know, right where 635 is at? Mm-hmm. That's where Indian Springs was at. 
Wow. Okay. So we try. I try. We travel every time we roll up to Screenland. Then yeah. So oh, right. So that big, out. that big empty lot that's right there. That's Indian Springs. That's my childhood. That's sad. I know. That's sad. No, but like, <laughs> no, but yeah. So it's a grim reminder of what used to be because it was great. That mall had literally had a toy as toy store next to a pet store dangerous combination right across from a cafeteria where you could pick whatever you'd want to eat right and then uh a burger joint right next to the cafeteria if you didn't want that then the first movie theater where all the first run movies were at. okay fancy yep the blockbusters right then you'd have like of course carts in the middle then you'd have stores like deb i didn't know if it was a deb or if it was deb but that wasn't a store for me yeah we didn't we weren't allowed in there no no um there was a whole bunch of other, like there was a J.C. Penney's and a Montgomery Ward. Now, were they um, blo- bookending each other? Yes. Okay, that's But in the middle, there was a Montgomery Ward. Uh, that, you know what? So I know at Oak Park Mall, at one point it was, um, I think it was also, it was, oh God, because they were a little bit fancier because it was Oak Park Mall. You had Ward, Montgomery, not Montgomery Wards, was it? You had Dillon's? Dillard's? D- Dillard's in the middle. Uh-huh. And then you had... Sears possibly on one end and then another. Yeah, you guys had Sears at Oak Park Mall. See, but here's the thing: I I would occasionally go to Oak Park Mall. My mall it was Metcalf South. Yeah, Metcalf South, True and Blue, because it had a Clint's Comic Books. Yeah, which was such a luxury. And then right next to it was a little arcade called Nickelodeon. Ooh, but we also had a KB's Toy Store. Nice. Had the food court, and then for a spell had. The movie theater of which was where I saw Gremlins nice. with my mom and my grandmother. So yeah, Metcalf and Metcalf South. That was a three story one. It had that huge fountain. Yeah, in the middle. I didn't go to Metcalf South a lot because I mean, one, why would I? Because <laughs> right, yeah. the mall right in the backyard, right? But like the second level of Indian Springs, that's where all the magic happened. That's where you would spend like the most of your money because one, that's where the food court was. That's where the Spencers was. That's where the Hallmark store was. That's where they also had. Um, so there was this place called Italian Delight. It was. De- it was been there for years. They oh, moved it up there. It was they originated there at that mall. Oh, thank and, you. Right. So then around the corner from Italian Delight, there was an uh, Osco Drugs. Also had one in Mecca South. And then in the Osco Drugs, they had a fucking killer comic section. So it wasn't it wasn't quite like a comic book store, but it was decent. No, to get Osco all your, had was it was legit. Shockingly, a yeah. lot of stuff. That yeah, you, that you Osco be, was great. Yeah, it was. And then uh, Proto CBS. Then then they had the Fun Factory, mm-hmm. where I spend the majority of my time. Then in between there was the Montgomery Wards. Montgomery Wards, that is mm-hmm. it. But then on the other side of Montgomery Wards, that's where the dollar show was at. That's where all the movies from after the first one would go up or like, eh, you know, it's a dollar. That's where they would like also show a couple of retro screenings every now and then. Like, hey, we found a copy of this. We were showing this. Probably a lot of canon films, I would imagine. Yeah. So goofy stuff. And then like, but it was a dollar and like all the snacks were cheap. And like they I went there enough for the like. Yeah, you can go see this R-rated movie. We know your mom's cool. That's you know, just awesome. like God. Now that I can see the yeah. true appeal of that. Mm-hmm. Well, there's something about that familiarity back in the day, and again, also just how naive we were. Because I'm six years old, six, seven, eight, running around with a twenty dollar bill, living like a fucking king. My mom's over there doing shopping. 
doing all the things that she needs to get done because next, the, the, the Osco was there, yep. the Dillard's was there, the well, clothing store was there, everything that she needed. It helped so many different utilities. It was a place where you could go for function mm-hmm. because, yeah, everything was in one location. You could get everything knocked out. It was efficient. You're, yeah. a, man, you're a man of what about? I'm all about value. For the kids, it's niche stuff. There's toy stores. There's candy stores. There's food places. But the the crux of it, and again, the whole mall rats thing, you have the the teenagers because yeah. it's a social place. Mm-hmm. It was the something internet. to do. It was something to do where you didn't because you didn't need to get uh, you didn't need a car, uh, ID to get into any place. No admission fee. Right. It was cheap, free, and centralized location. So you. That was the crux of it, and then that was the downfall of it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, it was really funny if you think about even the way the fact that usually you would just walk constantly around the mall with your friends, and you would do things. Mm -hmm. The same thing eventually when you'd eventually like um, graduate into having a driver's license, and you'd just start cruising with your buddies just moving up and down and shit. Well, by the time um, we had to go... By the time we got our driver's license, we had to go to another mall or we had to go to another movie theater because yeah. Indian Springs was long gone and everything else was dying. Mm-hmm. The only malls that were left were Metcalf South and o- o- uh, Oak Park. So Oak Park Mall still does exist. Mm-hmm. It's Metcalf not the South, same, but, though. No, it's, it's not, not the same. It's, it's not, not the same. It's not. And Metcalf South no longer exists. It's completely gone. And there's actually... Um, in fact, I believe the um, Ward from, Parkway is still around. Ward Parkway is still exist. In fact, they've got a pretty decent little AMC. If I I did see underwater there mm-hmm. to give it some love, but yeah, it's it's it's, it's not the same, and because things are different, times yeah. have changed. Yeah. I mean, the mall itself was this like pillar of consumerism that actually probably killed a lot of small mom and pop stores. Oh yeah, let's face it. Well, and, but then also it. On the flip side, it also had some mom and pop stores in there, because mm-hmm. I know there was a Jay's Hobby Lobby before Hobby Lobby was around. Interesting. And then in, in this toy store, and it was just like some dude and had his arts and crafts. He had a great selection of Mad Libs. And do you remember those um, puzzles that had that weird uh, marker that you would like run over the thing? It wouldn't show anything, but it would kind of like. Wet enough where you yes, could see the answers yes, of all that. He had a great selection of those. So I would go in there, get one of those, and come back with my still from uh, having a ball all day long with my $20 bill and still have like maybe a couple of bucks later. Well, we were talking off mic, and I think a lot of people, once they hit our age, hits it. But it's just that really weird time of no responsibility. Yeah. You just existed. And a day at the mall was a huge thing. It was something to look forward to. And that four hours you spent didn't feel like four hours, man. It spe- it felt like an eternity there. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was magical. I do, I, I miss that feeling a little bit, to be honest. But um, no, uh, Taco the Town, uh, the guy that does the podcast there, I believe he actually, they did a short documentary about Metcalf South. Oh, nice. Yeah, so check it out if you can. It's, it's well worth your time. But then we find this crazy little movie called... Phantom of the Mall, Eric's Revenge, and again, from trailer to once Arrow released, announced it was being, they were releasing it, I knew immediately I was buying it, because mm-hmm. I was like, I have to know, and if Arrow's releasing it, it's going to come loaded with a lot of stuff. Right, with a lot of stuff. And got it, watched it, loved it, uh, on Patreon, you can check out the I've Seen That episode, but usually it's a good sign when 
because several titles have gone from I'm watching it for the first time to like you need to watch it or I'm watching it for the first time. And you're like, well, duh, I have why have you seen right. that? But to show up on the main feed of the episode, it's a good sign. Absolutely. So genius, this entire journey, that being said, what'd you think? A fan of them all, Eric's Revenge. I thought this movie was going to be goofy as shit. I thought this is going to be tongue-in-cheek, campy, silly, because it's called Fan of them all, Eric's Revenge, doop a doop doo right? <laughs> I thought it was going to be a goofy slasher set in a mall. I was wrong. They take this movie so straight, so seriously, but it's so fun. There's still that hint of fun, that frivolity, your goofy 80s slashers, but it's not goofy at all. It's not tongue-in-cheek. Even when Morgan Fairchild, of all fucking people, shows up, you're expecting shenanigans to ensue and goofiness to happen, but no. It's played straight, and I really respected it, and it was proper good. I had a blast with this movie. So the tonal, again, the expectate your expectations going in based on the baggage versus mm-hmm. what you got, the, the tonal whiplash didn't hurt no, you. No, because there's still goof shit in there. I mean, Trust there's plenty us. of goof shit in there. I'm not saying this is, this is not A24's Eric's Revenge. No, 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 no. There are some kills in here that are very memorable, but I think what initially really got both of us into the film is the Rick Dalton moments mm-hmm. that came up continuously because this cast is loaded yeah. with so many people. Let's start with Morgan freaking Fairchild because you want to talk That's about... That's an age of demarcation yes, thing right there. You are not kidding. In fact, quite honestly, would you, were you probably first exposed to her via Pee-wee's Big Adventure? No. Or was it probably through TV work? It was probably through TV work. I, I think... Because her big thing was what? Falcon's Crest. Crest? Yeah. Because my grandma used to watch Falcon's Crest. The stories. Right? Her stories. The Falcon's Crest, Dynasty, those those soap operas. And so... No, I don't want... (laughs) Fucking Morgan Fairchild. So I've always been... But she always would show up and it's like, Morgan Fairchild? It It would just be like... And Morgan Fairchild, Circus of the Stars, or for Morgan Fairchild on Love Boat, or Morgan Fairchild guest episodes in a special Remington Steel, or Morgan Fairchild. She was, she was like Visa. She was everywhere you wanted to be. And so even she shows up. So when she shows up as Dottie in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I was like, it's Morgan Fairchild. And there's Josh Papa Thanos, Josh Brolin. So it's always like funny to see Morgan Fairchild because she's just kind of. To me, she signals, I don't want to say goofiness, but she definitely makes things like 80s timestamp. Even in this one, she's rocking the fucking, oh. those big ass shoulder pads, and she's got that crimp going on. She's rock full Fairchild mode. She is full Fairchild. Between her look and then Barbara Crampton's with the Crampton crimp in Chomping Mall, yeah, you get some just perfect examples of 80s hair. Actually, not gone wrong. They actually wear it really, really well. No, Morgan Fairchild rocks it, and she's still rocking it. And she's really good in this movie because she doesn't overplay it, no. like you said. Again, she's playing it straight. Throughout the entirety of the film, even upon the reveal that we get at the very end, it's still played for that kind of like, <gasps> you reveal, yeah. which was nice. I really dug that. Uh, we get, um, which, let's see here. What was your, because we got two of them here that, are, that probably hit harder for most of our, no, three. I would say that probably hit farther. Of the cast? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about, we'll, we'll save um, one of the bad guys for later. Okay, that's so okay. we got, so our first person, let's talk about Rob Estes. Oh, that guy, that, 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 that guy. That guy. That guy. 
the handsome actor. Because everybody, everybody but Morgan Fairchild in this movie is that guy or that girl. Everybody in this one. But Rob Estes, I hate to say where I know him from. But Lay it on me. You might know him best from a lot of his uh, work in uh, a lot of Aaron Spelling Fair and a lot of USA stuff. So he was in 90210. He was in Melrose Place. He was in Silk Stockings. Now was... Was that how risque was Silk Stockings? It was like the sexy cop drama. It wasn't okay. like okay. It wasn't full on like Red Shoe Diaries, where every day was erotica, but there was always a lot of sexual tension. So he's more of the leader one GoBots versus David Duchovny's Optimus Prime, just in terms of the you get more of the sexy stuff with the red shoes and just more yeah. Chaste. Well, he played major roles in both Melrose Place and 90210, so you're not going to get... And Silk Stocking was, I think, it moved over to USA later. Gotcha. But it never went to Showtime. Gotcha. So you're not going to get everything too ribald. It was okay. USA's sexy cop right. drama. Right. So, yeah, it was kind of like CSI, Sexy Investigation Unit. But he is one of those, and especially if you grew up with anything with Aaron Spelling, you mm -hmm. immediately recognize him because he very much looks like someone that is going to transition well into the 90s. Into the handsome cat. Yes, yes. Even though, I got to say, Rob Besties was corny as fuck. Some of his lines deliveries in that one. It's fair. That's fair. Again, I mean, a, like. He's a we, handsome man. He's so. super handsome, but I got to say, we did the very end, and we did the special features, and the whole special features oh, there, they had, like, apparently there was some beef between some of the screenwriters, but when he's at the end saying, like, I'm the one who really won because I found you or something oh, like that. You you turned against him. I even said boo because the whole time him. the whole time I was like, okay, he's putting two and two together. He's not making dumb moves. He's reading the room. Mm -hmm. She's like, hey, look, I'm not cool with this. And he goes, cool, I'm gonna back off. He's being respectful. He's doing what he wants. I mean, what, what he needs to do and what he should. But then he has like two or three lines in there where I was like. That is corny as fuck. I think I think I wrote it down. Um, it, it cracks me up as how you are so not easily offended, but how you can be so easily swayed in an instant. Because he's, she's like, we got out, and I got you. Boo! I think I booed it. I didn't. Even, it wasn't even a boo earns. I think I was like, man, that's corny as shit. <laughs> So, no, he put a boot for performance, but again, uh, you can see, like, yeah, that dude's, in three years, he is going to be a 90210. You can see that. Very handsome, very handsome. So, I think the first moment that was nice, and I, I'm, he's probably more, I don't want to say a punchline at this point, because I will go toe-to-toe -to -toe with anyone saying Son-in-Law is one of the superior Thanksgiving films out there, mm -hmm. but when Polly Shore... Polly Shore. I was like, holy shit, it's Polly Shore. And he's not doing we so He's doing numbing we ungranted. He's doing weasel adjacent. Because that point with the, the, the security cam footage when he's being all silly. I straight up thought he was about to Buffalo Bill it. I thought Polly Shore was she a great big fat person? One of our actors actually did play in Silence of the Hams, so there's at least that kind of connection. connection. That's true. But no. let's just say he does drop trow in this film, yeah. but no dong gong. But here's the thing. So he was like 
subtle Polly. He wasn't he wasn't the weasel yet. No, he wasn't. He, he was not- playing Polly Shore Just and as- like I liked it a lot. I Ooh. liked his performance because it was just goofball enough where, like, he's the goofy friend. Yeah. But it wasn't like oh, it's... Polly Shore as the goofy his friend. Shtick, yeah. Right. The shtick hadn't developed yet. So, no, in, like you said, throughout the film, you're like, he's kind of playing it naturally. The, mm-hmm. this is, it's one of those rare sightings like, yeah. out of nature. Uh, but then I think the moment that. And he's shown up. I actually saw him in a Hack O' Lantern recently. Polly Shore? No, no. Oh, oh, are we talking? Oh, before we let's talk about oh. Eric. Oh, er- oh, Eric, the the man getting revenge. Yeah, Eric, the the titular his revenge because so, he has a very storied career. Well, and Derek Rydell, what's really rad to look at in terms of his IMDb is the fact that we saw him at Nerdoween mm-hmm. and Popcorn. Yeah, I did not realize. Uh, but he As also Mark, the, bo- the 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 asshole scumbag boyfriend. Yes, and then he's also he's got shit. He's he's been with royalty. Uh, he's uh the kid with long hair and Death Wish for the crackdown. Hey. So no, he's definitely got an interesting background with that. And he oh he also helped out with Power Rangers. He was a writer. Mm-hmm. So eight episodes. So he's multifaceted. Yes, as it turns out. No, so I think it was probably a stunt person. Actually, no, he did. They both did a lot of their own stunt work, but I think when a lot of the kung fu action was happening, I think they made him look like Mel uh, Gibson, uh, uh, Martin Riggs, and Lethal Weapon Two, with the hair and the the cap and the mullet. Uh-huh. I think that was to mask the kung fu fighter in it. There was a lot of kung fu treachery in this movie. There's kung fu like training sequences. He's got a whole like workout center. Yeah, he does. He's got a whole media room where he shoots videos, and he because there's that one scene that where he's listening to his melody remix, his soft rock remix, their song. Yes, the Stan Bush penned song. Oh my! And it's just, it's a good song, but it looks the way it's shot, and like he's about to turn around, he's gonna be singing it, and the next thing you know, he's playing the piano. While doves are playing. Do you think that's the dance sequence maybe that they cut? Maybe, because there is a missing dance sequence. And we, of course, we took in the special features on this Blu-ray, and it's they were phenomenal. In fact, it was watching the Blu-ray and the Discovery, because w- the, when the title credits are running, three writers are listed. And usually, if you're going two or more, sometimes that can be... I don't want to say problematic, but that mm-hmm. that may be things, something. A lot of stuff happened behind the scenes, and sure enough, watch the Blu-ray, the making of this one. It does put a different perspective on it because we both legitimately liked the movie, loved it. Uh, would love to have to do it as a double feature, you know, with Chopping Mall. But knowing that uh, the original writers of the film, the people that came up with the concept, are not happy with the end no. result, and the director's like, "Well, we didn't even." Changed that much. We maybe added some stuff and changed a little bit of the dialogue. There's nothing that I wrote in this movie. It was it was pretty rough to it wasn't yeah, it rough was. to watch, but you know, honestly though, that's why I'm glad these documentaries exist and that mm-hmm. they can speak candidly about it. Um Spookies is another one that had a really troubled production and they detailed it in the making of um, it's two movies in one. Bordello of Blood. Yes. The making of is probably better than the movie because they do not yeah, they're not uh, shy about talking their thoughts on Dennis Miller, and that's not even. I mean, going non-Blu-ray, but they got a blue teak of it. The uh, Lost Souls, the Richard Stanley one. Oh yeah, 
But that whole oh my god, it's crazy. But at least for the, it sounds like on this one the the main beef was between the original screenwriters and the rest of the crew. It's not everybody else seemed to have a good time. Oh yeah. Now, speaking of the rest of the cast and crew, I was not ready for a one um, Mac Ronald McDonald's father. Gregory Scott Cummings to show up. He's such and, a welcome presence. And even though this is Eric's revenge, he plays the main villain in this one, and he probably provides some of the most terror in this movie. The sequence, the the elevator sequence, multiple multiple times he scares people. He's terrified, and he it's the eyes. It's the demeanor. It's the presence. Mm-hmm. Is he in Calling All Creeps? He's absolutely calling. He's the bad guy in Calling All Creeps. He's the one where, like, he's Richard Lynch's heavy because, like, he's one of the Richard Lynch's generals that all the other creeps have to, like, you're giving us creeps a bad name. You know, and they all have to get together and, like, stop this main creep Ian. for the ultimate creepifier. And does he play a creep in this film? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. He plays surprise creeps because surprise here's the thing. Creeps. So... This is Eric's revenge, and Eric does all the killing. But I never once was I was scared for anybody or scared of Eric because he is up until the end a righteous avenger. He's an event, yeah. Until the you know, well, until unless you're getting his way or you're doing your job like the maintenance and the janitor the, guy. The first guy, especially, I kind of felt he was the only one I truly felt bad for because I'm like, why is this dude killing him? He's yeah. like, he shouldn't, doesn't do no reason. Stay out of the vents. And golly, so much vent work. In this movie. Come to the mall. Have a few laughs. Unreal. (laughs) And like I remember in Terminator 2 when they go go in the back offices and that's where that guy gets killed. Mm -hmm. I was always kind of fascinated. All the the things going on in the mall. How they connected to each other. Same thing with Chopping Mall. They're being able to go. And there's a small vent scene in there. But they can still go from thing to thing in the back Mm -hmm. room. Mm -hmm. You know what also these two movies share? Hmm. Locker changing room places. Another thing, I worked at a mall. I did as well. Was there ever any locker room? I got a lot of awkward looks when I'd come in in a bathrobe with my change of clothes going, hey, where can I change? Right? Like, what's going on? Is this like, was this mall designed by Verhoeven? Like, (laughs) just very co ed nudity, casual. And then speaking of the lockers, even if you're going to change in the locker rooms at the mall, in the stores, you would always have doors or curtains or something protecting nudity from general public. This is definitely a nice callback to Bachelor Party. There's a sequence where you have people changing in the changing rooms and like part of the doors are missing. Right. This one. And a little kid creeping in. You know, that, that shenanigans like that I can see. Yeah. But this one, there's no windows. There's nothing. There's nothing. Nothing. And the security camera that is per- right there aiming on... The gratuity, and it's like, hey. And then, so the security guard that's creeping on this, the the young coeds that are changing. That's and did we also notice which who one of the young coeds was? It, yeah, it Brooke was Brooke Stevens. Stevens. Yeah, which was really rad. She was just, she was getting ready to go to the. Uh, there's a bowling alley in that right. mall. Yes, there is down on the yes, bottom of it at the Sherman Oaks Galleria. Did we talk Ken Foray yet? Not yet. We were oh, getting to him because there he is. here he goes. So we're at the creep. We're at Creep Central Station. The security guards because no, and they're the only type of law enforcement. That's the whole thing. I'm thinking somebody should call the fucking cops. Real security police. guards can only go so much, and they can only do so many things. Even though they're packing heat and they have their own arsenal and their own like um, uh, stable of cars. So, 
We but, know Peck and Paws uh, exist in that mall somewhere. But who's our head security chief? But Ken Foray. And if anybody's got any experience with like malls, <laughs> that's who you get. If you need to lock down that mall, you get Ken Foray to do it. And actually makes it all the way through the film, uh-huh. which was a nice surprise. And he's like an unwilling bad guy. No, he's no, yeah, he's actually he's got good intent with everything, which right. I, ideally I think is why he does make it till the end there. Cuz nobody tells him anything. He's basically in the dark of all the other bad shit. Why Eric needs to get his revenge. Yes. Yes, which and admittedly everyone admits take Eric's revenge off the title of this film. It's so much better because Eric's revenge is such a misnomer. I'm like, who the fuck is Eric and why do we need revenge? And we find out in the film and the making of the in the you know the the course of the film itself, which is it it plays as a revenge film, yes. I don't know. It's one of those things that looking back, it's it's kind of rough on that, but let's talk a few of the kills here, genius. The kills were surprisingly well done. Yes, they were. And one of the things and that buried was, Varied was really good, but then also, again, watching the making of when we're watching a Matthew Mulch. Uh, hold on, it was Matthew. Oh, sorry, this is so. Anyway, Matthew Mulch, I believe, was the special effects guy, but he was the enthusiastic special effects guy. That's the thing. He was super enthusiastic, and when I say everybody took their performance seriously, they did, except. Um, the the effects guy because the kills were funny and goofy yeah. and surprisingly a lot more inventive and bloody than I Matthew Mungle because there was a couple of kills that I was not expecting and it wasn't because they were overtly violent or gory but they had a little bit of that cherry on top mm-hmm. that made it that much better for example let's talk about so First off the bat, we have the security guard that really didn't do anything. The one that was like, what'd they do do, right? You just jumped right in the first 30 seconds of the movie, there's a kill. And I'm like, bravo, I respect that. Nicely done, you know? So he takes the security guard, who should have been played by uh, Dick Miller. Oh, it would have been perfect. And shoves his face in in the fan. Now, you don't see it, but you see, like, the chunks come out of the fan. It was a very good theater of the it, mind. And that's just it, between the grizzle and then the use of shadow. Because at mm-hmm. one point, you see him forcibly put the head worked really nicely mm-hmm. uh the forklift that kill, was a pleasant surprise because you get some electrocution that's good but apparently this you know speaking little, of region it's that one uh, italian uh electrical system when you get a little eye pop like that again the surprise eye pop and in fact an eyeball that comes back through frozen yogurt which mm-hmm. i also miss miss me some tcby nope i never liked yogurt even when i could do uh Ice cream or, fair. or that. Wasn't for everyone. Wasn't for it was for me. And I would have taken an eyeball in it. But that was a nice and also forklift safety. And right. I I went, you know, worked at a grocery store. So I remember the power of those things. And I remember shenanigans happening when people jumping off that kind of shit and just Well, and then speaking of shenanigans and working at shit like that, okay, one of the kills, and we'll talk about Luther's dad's kill or Max Dad's kill. Um, and I had to call shenanigans on it because the Eric, I know he's strong because he's a beefcake, and you we see him like pumping iron and getting gains and shit, right? Just getting swole, right? So Gregory Scott Cummings has got his our hero is about to be thwarted by the villain, 
because he's got them in the trash compactor, mm -hmm. right? Now, those fucking things are heavy, and those safety doors are heavy, too, and it's all hydraulics. There's no way that he's going to, like, Herculean strength is going to push the way up to get out of the way to give the old uh, Gregory Scott Cummings a switcheroo. That's the only, like, that's shenanigans. They but it was a really well done, like, head pop off. It was funny. It was funny. But not, like, overtly goofy. It was just like, bloop, there goes his head. And not overtly gory as well. No. Where you had fountains of blood. But you had good, and the, actually the reveal of the guy that got all chopped up in the thing, a lot of shadow play, but looked pretty gnarly, but not, again, gratuitous. Mm -hmm. The gratuity held in the nudity. The, the, most the random acts of nudity and the weird sex dreams that our main character, Carrie, was having. Multiple sex dreams. Yeah. Um, in fact, we actually got a love song, a love theme. That's their song. Mm -hmm. Again, by the great Stan Melody's Bush. Melody. Melody's Melody. That plays throughout the film. In fact, the score itself, you felt some hints of like Halloween mm -hmm. in it. I heard some Italian influence, maybe a little goblin Fabio Fritzi in there as well. I almost, it was like, instead of dun, 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 boom, it was like, bum, bum, boom, missing just missing. a few notes. But, just enough not to get sued. Right? But going back to the kills, one kill I was not expecting. So, earlier in the movie, our heroine is a, trying to, uh, is about to be viciously assaulted by a gentleman in a ski mask. Ski mask wearers are never good. You know, I don't know if it's a thing now because I never trust anybody in a ski mask. Even if it's like fucking sub-degree weather and they're wearing a ski mask and it's cold, I'm like, eh, that's something wrong. You wouldn't have fallen into our fellow's trap, you know. Right. You, you, you play by your rules, my friend. So he's wearing a ski mask and he's going to assault Melody. Here comes Eric, our dark hero, with a crossbow, shoots him in the, in the air later on. Boom. So this whole time... This whole time this movie's been going on, this this assault happens about halfway through the movie. So the whole time there's this like very random in the background character, Victor Borgia looking piano playing motherfucker. He's in the back playing the piano and he always has these like middle-aged moms and grandmas just fawning like, oh, Frankie, right? Just like just swooning over him and he's like... Duh. Taco Bell, right? He's over there doing his like thing in the valley of the jolly green giant. And he goes, excuse me, I need to go and I take a break. And so he's going to go take a break. Turns out he's the assaulter because he's got a big arrow in his. Been playing through pain apparently on the piano. And he's just bleeding profu profusely. So I don't know, understand. I don't see why it's not seeping through his tuxedo. Right? Like he just looks like he's got a smoking jacket. Just. But it's okay because it leads to comic, comical oh, goofiness. I mean, because everything has been serious and blades and eye, well, not serious as eye gouging and electrocution can be. But he's taking a shit, right? <laughs> so he's sitting there on the toilet. Here comes Eric with the, in the sewer with a wrench and he's doing a whir, whir, and you whir. just hear like a bunch of hissing. Next thing you know, you see the guy come in. I'm surprised they didn't have like in the background. Me, 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 me. So this big ass King Cobra comes up out of the toilet, looks him, and then he's like, holy shit, bites him right in the dick. And that's it. That's the kill. And the snake comes back into play later on. So apparently he escaped and went back into the air vents. It's something straight out of Porky's. You know, they ball breakered this guy. It's goofy, but. It was that kind of goofy, though, that made us giggle. 
But then we go back into the movie, back into the seriousness of everything. People being chased, and another scary scene fucking freaked me out. So our hero, 90210 hero, is uh, saying, hey, I think Luther, uh, Gregory Scott Cummings, is, is a creep. I'm going to take pictures of him and see if that's the one that's taken dead. Um, Luther sees that he's taking, being taken photos of, and he puts to chase to 90210. Mm-hmm. 90210 thinks he gets him the slip and he goes into the elevator because it's a good scene where he's like, Rah! right? And it's an elevator you've seen before. Multiple in all times. Of those films we've talked about. Multiple times. Because apparently it's been people jumped on it before. <laughs> whether it be Schwarzenegger, whether it be Nerdlinger from uh, Chopping Mall, yeah. you know, they've been on that ride before. But never like Luther. So the guy God. thinks he's safe. 90210 thinks he's safe. Luther comes up, hangs upside down like Lost Boys style, <laughs> hair wild, wise wild, and he's like, hey, you, rah! I'm like, holy shit, that's terrifying. Do not, did not see that coming. No, I was not all. ready for surprise Luther. And he came out a few places, and he's not afraid to fuck shit up because in this whole chase, not only is he scaring people out of elevators, but he knocked over a baby cart. With a baby in it, he then hops in his car and takes Chase to this guy and, like, mauls down a pedestrian. That scene, I don't know if that was an accident or not because that looked legit. He fucked him up. He hurt that dude's feelings. It that was, dude was messed up. Note, note, they didn't mention anything about that on the special features. No. Was that real? I don't know. That looked good. Keep well, it in. Man, it's probably one of his friends. And, and, but also, please, someone check my medical bracelet. <laughs> but it, it stands to credit, though. Again, the no ones and zeros, all practical, all for Pure Luther. Ah. He's he's terrifying. But I get apparently for half the budget of what they were originally signed on for, mm -hmm. so they had to make this one. It's a low budget horror film. They did good. Yeah, well, yeah, and again, the the production design with the mall, the mall itself mm -hmm. plays as a character. The fact that it's got a. You, Cave system in the basement, amazing, and and an enormous walk-through ventilation system. It's great, in the, in, it's in great. The attic. I assume Oak Park Mall that exists somewhere. Now I'm kind of terrified. Imagine what other shit can lurk in there. Think about it, there because there was a sewer system that led right to the bottom of that mall where you can get in and out of the sewers. If you can get in and out of the sewers from that mall, what else can get in and out of the mall from that sewers? What are the things that would have uh, taken you when he walked over that great trap? Exactly, because that's where he kept the bodies. That's where the chuds live. Yep. That's where the chuds are going around shopping. Mall chuds. Mm-hmm. Terrifying. Because all the food from the... That's the only way that they don't kill the people from the, that are shopping. All the leftover food or the food that's about to go bad from the food court, they just like, here you go. Yep. Like, placates. I'm like, cool, we don't got to go out and hunt for human flesh. I like that. Same thing with all the clothes. Like... The, all the the chuds back in the New York ones, they all had hobo clothes and ain't hobo stuff, right? These are like mall chuds. So they got like shit from Camelot. Oh my they god! They got so shit did, from like so um, so shoulder pads. Lots of they got Morgan Fairchild shoulder pads. I'm, they got I'm, shit I'm all from for that. Chess King. They got shit from chuds Deb. and vest. I dig that. Yeah, all and that's the shit. Let's let's put that on hold because i actually Malt like that chuds. as an idea i like that i like that a lot um they're all fat because they all eat food court the fact that we got eric doing his calisthenics he's got his workouts and so many roundhouses he kicks gregory scott cummings in the face with the roundhouse kick like opens. hey boom it's awesome walker's like i like the cut of that dude's jib 
And I like to think that from Six String Samurai into this film, we've got that nice little transition of horror-adjacent genre, but not afraid. In fact, there's multiple moments throughout this movie I'm like, man, this would pair well with Maniac Cop 2 mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. especially to the end that we'll get to here. Um, another Rick Dalton moment. Oh, it's so weird. It's yeah. My, it's my nephew. Uh, John Travolta's Playing nephew. Playing the animals. asshole. 23 more minutes. Tom Friendly is his name. And yeah, the guy from uh, Jason Lives as playing the mall owner's son, the entitled mall owner's son that is just begging to die. But you, he's got to be, I, they, they're playing him like he's like 16, 17. But he's looking, you know, more. But he's like 25, 26. But he's habitual line stepping. He's like stealing people's food. He's breaking shit in the arcade. Bullying couples. He took that dude to front street. Just locked him down like fucking flex. I'm like, Ugh! dude didn't do nothing. Begging like, to get picked off here. Just ready for him. And then the fact that like he finds a skateboard and just starts riding it. And then next thing you know, Eric teaches him why you should always tie your shoe when you go up on escalators. Uh, Mall Rats actually has a great arrow release, as it turns out. Right? He so does no Chud. Respect. It yeah. all kind of comes, comes again. Full. <laughs> and now, that was also, I will say, that was one of the kills that we wanted a little bit more, maybe. Right. If we, we could have. A little bit more gore with him because he was such a petulant piece of shit. You just wanted to see like <laughs> his skin get ripped off by the escalator or him like maybe like body part getting gnawed and mauled you know no that's what fair. we've been told would happen if we don't tie our shoe or we don't get off the escalator in time hasn't happened to you has it Mm-mm. hell no because you, you you heed your advice you mm-hmm. need the advice um can we talk to press slam of Did course you, because she's re- lucky she she's lucky she had those shoulder pads that could have been a lot worse i am such a fan of when out of the blue Someone is lifted above someone else's head and slammed down, be it through a table like in Roadhouse, Mm -hmm. a lot of roundhouses and that. But the randomness, especially when it comes out, where it comes from, the vents again coming into play. Right. Oh, my God. From the first time I watched it to watching you experience, it's glorious. comes out of nowhere. Hey, Morgan Fairchild, what? What? Slam! She had a gun and everything. It just so quick it happened. She threw her off guard. And then the dive, the the stunt person, the dive out that window is impressive because they've got at least two of them mm-hmm. where they're going at least off probably like the third level. The car flip, the car flip was the impressive. The car flip was really imp- impressive, especially the fact that it blew up afterwards. You, for a low budget film, for having half the budget, they did a lot of impressive stuff all of the budget is on the is in the screen i mean tossing morgan fairchild out the window alone was worth the price and then that and then on top of that the fact that she skewered through the very like trophy she was about to be presented with Mm -hmm. and then the other guy gets burnt to death with a uh weed Weed burner and falls into a bunch of propane and propane accessories and at one point eric it was very like pro wrestling. Us like, my God, that's Eric's music. He broke him in half. He kind of did because he, he, <laughs> he comes in, dun, 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 and then he burns that dude. John Matrix style. Swinging it. He's fucking body slamming people out the window. He's roundhousing, kicking people. He's a very physical. Oh, my God, it's Eric. Dun, dun, dun. He's coming down. It was impressive. And that leads us then to the explosion Man on fire, big dive stunt 
that plays right along with Maniac Cop 2 that I thought was really impressive. There was a lot of full burns in this movie. Some really impressive full burns. Mm-hmm. Again, no ones and zeros. All in camera, all scary, all shot at night, you know, at the uh, the well, Galleria. While the shoppings are closed. <laughs> um, we then end with a very memorable theme song. And well, also, we, we, oh. normally we would end like, okay, did Eric escape? Or oh, yeah. Our heroes lived to see the other day. No, nope, Eric's dead. They showed it. It's confirmed. Were you waiting for the the one good eye to the open one, up? The one the one non googly eye to open up. Can we talk his makeup design? Sans the goofy googly eye, and I there was the googly eye. See, there was some parts where I was like, all right, it it does work for me, but there was some. I guess it was way or either shot or the angle of the camera, but it gave it almost of a reptilian look. Okay. I think because maybe the eye was like significantly odder shaped than the actual real eye, but sometimes it looked really good. Sometimes it looked like Kermit the Frog, but at the same time, it worked for me because he's all burnt up and stuff. So no, I it actually for me it did work as well. And in fact, it leaned so heavily into you know the Phantom of the Opera or Phantom of the Paradise. Super Phantom. It worked as a nice. In fact, could you? Play this as like a triple feature of with opera, paradise, and, and mall. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't. I don't think be disgraceful because, like you said, everything is played seriously. Yeah, I I really dug that. Hell, you could even go to like stage fright with Phantom of the uh, Band Camp, Phantom of the Yeah. And it there's this movie. It seems like it would paint itself in a corner being set in the mall, but actually. Based on everything that's happening in the mall, surprisingly serious, but with still that goofy, just enough goofiness where it's like this is wildly entertaining, but serious enough where like this is nowhere near the B schlock that I thought it was gonna be. No, and again, surprises can still be had, which is nice. But I did. Oh, but the theme song. You know, I did want to play a, a small segment of it. Don't worry, I won't get it to that part. Okay, we'll talk about that part. Uh, but yeah, this comes from the Vandals. Is there a phantom in the mall? Let's see here. Turn that all the way up. Now I'm going to stop it before we get into any other particular lyrics that are going along there. But it was poppy. Mm-hmm. It was punky when I found out it was the Vandals. It's like, hey, I think I probably saw those guys at a warp tour. Uh, but it, we were having fun with it, you know, and then they get a line. It's kind of a problematic line nowadays. Oh, it's a very problem. It was a very, very problematic line. In fact, but a good thing, like, again, Power of the Boutique Blu-ray, where there's like, yeah. Uh, it's a very non-PC song, and um, I, we probably shouldn't have said it, and we The guy that apologize. wrote the film, yeah, basically said, hey, our bad. It, it was problematic then, but at that, again, another time. Another place. It was one of the- But casual- it was punk! We could do punk! It's, the ca- it's like the casual use of the F-bomb, the casual- This was the casual use of the R. Yeah. Uh, but it was a little tongue-in-cheek, but again, a distinctly unique- Tells you the story of the film mm-hmm. at the end. It's like Maniac Cop 2. Again, Maniac Cop 2, you had the rap. Here you have the pop punk song. Yeah. But 
I dug it. I dug it. So I don't know. Uh, final thoughts here, genius, before we exit I, out of the mall. I thought it was a lot of fun. Better than I expected. Oh. Wasn't what I expected. Also, the Blu-ray itself packed. You have a well-made and crafted poster with the Blu-ray art and the original poster illustration. A, a packed thing. Uh, Amanda Reyes provides an essay, and then the lobby cards. That's rad. The lobby cards of all things. This is this is well worth your buy. Uh, this is going to probably cool. end up somehow on some sort of rotation. Now that being said, we're closing out the month of our uh, celebration of boutique Blu-ray labels with a movie I know it's going to be a first time viewing for mm-hmm. you. I want. I've been waiting to check this off my list. And also was and I've seen it was on the I've seen that challenge making its way to the feed. So nice. It's, it's going nice. to be interesting. Nice. So until that time, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee, and we'll see you in your dreams. Is there a phantom in the mall? I'm going to stop there.